Is the NFL a 365-day-a-year sport? That's what they want you to believe. Mike and I are going to do it this week on Reading the Defense. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Reading the Defense. This is now the third rebrand, I believe, of this particular venture. But now we are part of INC Sports, so we don't actually have the pressure of having a real full-time show. But we do love to talk football. And this is my man, Mike P., with me. This is the Iceman, Matt Freights. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing wonderful. Sun's out. Summertime. So the sun was out, but... Last week, and this is for everybody else, there was like a VOG almost, or <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what you want to call that. And our lovely neighbors to the north of Canada gave us a lovely present and said, A, and gave us basically apocalyptic smog. Now, we didn't get it quite as bad here, but if you are watching or listening in New York City, you definitely got it. Yeah, they got it pretty nasty up there. Um, yeah, I I have comments on that, but I won't talk about it right now. It's not about the fire. It's just about everyone's overreaction to it on the East Coast because, God forbid, anything weird happens on the East Coast. It's a, a, de- a change from the norm, and they all panic out here. Yeah. People on the West Coast, you if you're listening on the West Coast, you're probably like, I don't see what the big deal is. We have these fires all the time. Every once in a while, you get a crappy couple days, get over it, move on. Oh, yeah. But we can't do that in New York. And we can't do that here in D.C. It was only a couple <laughs> days, but I know that like when we went outside one day, I went for a run on Tuesday and apparently the, the quality of the, the air had been a little bit worse on that day. We didn't even realize it. Yeah. Definitely a couple days later, I think it was Thursday, walking outside, it smells like a fire. Yeah. Which is definitely weird. Right. And probably not ideal. But yeah, at the same time, you just want to hope it clears. And yeah, I was I like, can I we... wouldn't run in it. I mean, that's probably no. something I would avoid. But exactly. Uh, that's one thing I did not all, do. We're Thursday. all not going to have long term damage from two days of smoky air. No. And it's likely. very similar to <laughs> anything else where it's like, if you're high risk, sure. don't go out in it. Sure. But then again, you have to have warning labels on everything today because there's a lot of, no offense, stupid people yeah. out there for whom you need directions for. Do, do we need warning labels? Maybe maybe we could use to stand to lose a few students. <laughs> it's very possible. Natural selection is a real thing, and I think that it's worth exploring, but maybe not on this particular part. That's right. So That's right. Outside of all the apocalyptic stuff, why are we here? Well, Mike and I tried to start a podcast that was not football-centric, but about just centrist thinking. And we never could get it off the ground. We have now rebranded three different times. So you have to ask yourself, if you have to rebrand three times, is it time to shut it down? I disagree with that thought. So that's why we're here, because we're going to try to get this off the ground. And we're going to do a little bit more football-centric talk, because both Mike and I love football. But I've asked Mike to be here because he is a little bit more, and I say a little bit, a lot more knowledgeable about the game. I think when it comes to the ins and outs you played. So I'd love for you to give the audience, since theoretically this is the first time they've heard you or seen you, sort of how you grew up with football and why you love football so much. I grew up with football, I guess, because uh, we always watched football growing up. I mean, my dad was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan from the time I was an infant, and I was one as well. So everyone instantly hates me. Well, half the people on our show probably hate me now. The other half love me, I guess. Isn't that the way it works with the Dallas Cowboys? Actually, that's a perfect thought. I've realized that both he and I represent two of the most obnoxiously douchey fan bases when the Dallas Cowboys and the New England Patriots. So actually, I think everybody hates both of us. So I think it works. All right. 
I hate works. Anyway, uh, yeah. And then uh, I grew up uh, kind of in the Midwest and throughout the South, moving around a bit. And so if there was a sport to be played in the uh, 80s and early 90s, it was football. That was kind of the one to do. Uh, and, and I'm not tall, so I wasn't going to be playing basketball. So put it that way. So I did play football, uh, you know, all the, all growing up through high school, not in college. But uh, always enjoyed football. Always enjoyed watching the game from a long uh my whole life. And so it's uh, just been something that's uh, it's fun to do. It's fun to watch. It's a nice little hobby to, to enjoy. So, But you actually played. So you sure. have a little bit more insight because you've been in on the team, you have a little bit more insight into like how things are strategized and so forth. Like I didn't play football. I'm so like I'll, Uncle Rico. Yeah. You know, back in 87. <laughs> get the ball over a mountain. There you go. So if anybody <laughs> wants to know why you should listen to this man, Uncle Rico here, because that's how this works. But I think football is interesting because... Obviously, in the 80s and 90s period, football was really big. I would venture, though, that it wasn't America's sport the way that it is today. I think baseball still kind of captured America's eye. But as things have turned over, the century has turned over, and we're in the year 2023 now, football is the sport in this country. And it's not really, it's it's not deniable. I think it's 100% firmly the number one sport in this country, and there's just, there's no getting around it. No, I 100% agree. I, and I like baseball. I really do. Um, I enjoy going to watch a game. But I just don't think it captures. It's it's just not the sport for the 21st century. And football is exciting and it's fun. And because there's parity in the league, uh, man, you just don't know which team's going to win every year. Except for the Cowboys, they're probably not going to win. <laughs> but uh, well, there are some teams that seem to be somewhat cursed. But I think a lot of it has to do with the way that attention spans have changed in this country. And it's funny because football is still a three-hour event every single week. But there's only 16 or 17 of those every single year. And so if you're a fan of a specific team, half the teams are out of it by then. And so you don't have to dedicate as much time because you have theoretically a week between games, whereas baseball, it's like six days a week. And even basketball and hockey to an extent, 82 game seasons, it's a lot of sports. And it makes the regular season feel insignificant and less important. But in football, everything is important. And I think that lends itself to the popularity and plus, it's just so popular everywhere. It's hard not to get involved. You either, I feel like, love football or you're not into it. Yeah, that's probably true. And I think football is growing, too, or across the world, um, slowly. Which is why obviously. the Jaguars are going to be a London franchise here <laughs> very, very, very shortly. Possible. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, people are starting to pick up on it. And I think he looks some of the crowds in Europe on some of the NFL games that have been in Europe lately. It's a uh, marked difference from the World Football League or whatever it was back in the 90s when they tried to do some initial... European football, or even some of the past, you know, 15 years ago, the first couple of games in England, uh, just the crowds, the, the, I think the appreciation for the game is amazing from the international game as well. So I think it's, it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun game to watch. Yeah, it's full of excitement. How much of that has to do with the fact that they've made it less violent? Do you think any of that has to do with the overall appeal of football? No, I, you know, honestly, I think the violence may make it a little more appealing. I mean, that's, that's a good it's point It's kind of the well. gladiator match of the modern day in a way. Um, yes, it is. It, it feels more controlled than, let's say, a boxing match where, you know, at some point people just watch people just get pummeled back and forth. and People are there for the crashes, like NASCAR yeah, for the crashes. Yeah, but I think with football, you get this right mix of measured violence that, you know, is exciting, the speed of the game and all those things that can happen, a mix between the two, the strategy... It's a, it's a nice, it's a kind of a perfect mix type game of, of the world, I guess, almost. <laughs> and I think what speaks to that is the fact that the Super Bowl, I think, is the most watched event every single year worldwide. Like, it's globally a humongous event. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but they are 
very, very high in terms of ratings, how many people actually show up and watch the Super Bowl. The halftime show obviously stretches across your mainstream pop culture thing. And the Super Bowl is the biggest event of the year. It grows, I think, every single year. I think the ratings have continued to go up. And in this country, when you have certain teams in it, I think that it helps. So the last time we were on any sort of a pod together was right around the Super Bowl. I think it was on Super Bowl Sunday. You came up here and talked with me and Coach about it. And the Super Bowl, I think, was great. I think when you look back on this particular Super Bowl, it was a good one. The game was really good. There was a little bit of controversy, but not enough to sully the result. The right team won because of how the whole game played out. And it's funny, you talked about parody. And also because the Eagles lost. So yes, the right team well, there's won. that. <laughs> I don't like the Eagles. That's right. a good point. <laughs> the Eagles, though, right, were part of what I consider that parody paradigm you talked about, where they kind of, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but in terms of having the type of season that they had, they did. However, a team that nobody expected to lose the Super Bowl came out and won the Super Bowl. The Chiefs have been a favorite every single year since Mahomes kind of burst onto the scene. And so I think that the game overall was very, very good. But the parody, I think, is here to stay. And I'm not sure how that came about because there are teams, and we'll get to some of those later, that have been historically bad and seem to be trying to turn the corner in this new way of business of if we can't win through the draft, we're going to win through trying to get that one guy that we think can bring us over the top. Browns tried to do that with Sean Watson. Bleh. And we're going to get to the Jets trying to do that a little bit later. But how do you think the parody came about in the NFL? Because for a while, there really wasn't a lot of it. You know, I, I I do I do think the salary cap error is what's done it. The idea and then and then the collective bargaining agreements that they have with the players now, which allows uh, less of the you know rich rich team gets richer, keeps his players as long as it can. Uh, vice uh, the the new method where you know every team has got this cap, you you kind of levels the playing field. The Jacksonvilles and the Dallases and their stuff on the same cost basis they have to do in order to keep players on the team the ability for players to move between teams means that they can't just kind of get stuck in one place which could be good for the team to win uh but maybe doesn't maximize the revenue of the individual and so i think the 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 positive of that is across the league you get more teams competing the downside is uh you know some teams will lose out on the potential to win because the individual will over over you know it's basically more important than the team now, so you kind of get this this uh, kind of balance there, which is good good and bad I guess. Well, I was gonna say the the individualistic nature of free agency now in just about every sport. I mean, team loyalty was something that I know that a lot of fans want to say that players should be loyal to the teams that they've played for and all that, but. That was sort of kind of a fabricated thing in a yeah, lot of ways. I, I don't, I'm not trying to say, and that's my thing is, I don't think it's necessarily team loyalty to the, you know, the franchise who's got the, the logo on your helmet. Although I think there's probably some of that. You play for a place long enough. I, you're going to get a loyalty to the brand that you play for. It's going to become part of you. But I think it's more the idea that, that, well, I know if I can stay here with this group of players, if we all stay together, we are on the cusp of doing something great or we can continue to win. Now it's kind of like, I could do that, but I'm throwing away millions of dollars. So I'm going to go while I can go. That kind of, that mentality, it's both good and bad, right? It's bad because like, it's difficult. And you know, how do you keep a team, a core team together? Like NFL football is a, is a team game. It's not an individual game. I can't just bring in one player and just win. It doesn't work. We try, people tried, 
you know, but it doesn't work. It, it takes a team to do it. And so keeping that team together and learning and growing and, and doing all that stuff together to become better over a period of a couple of years is now very, very difficult to do because free agency is so rampant. But the other flip side of that coin is more teams have the availability to be good because the ability of moving players in and out. So it's a matter of these teams have got to figure out a way to balance that. How do I keep the right individuals? How do I keep the right core together? Who do I let go? How do I bring someone in to replace? All that that stuff. And I think it's a, you know, it's a different, it's a completely different game than the mid-90s. Yes, and it is more executive-driven in that regard because you have to be smart. The reason that the Eagles are where they are is because they were able to be smart about the guys that they brought in to be around Jalen Hurts and make him more effective. Trading for A.J. Brown on draft day wasn't a draft pick, but it basically was in a lot of ways. It's better than a draft pick. Absolutely. Because it takes time for like a receiver in the draft. It doesn't, you're not going to get a good, and necessarily like there are very few receivers that come out of the draft and they're instantaneously as good as A.J. Brown is. Oh, yeah. There's it takes time. Very few A.J. Brown wasn't A.J. Brown <laughs> in his rookie year. Not uh, at all. And, you know, and so that's that's the thing that's amazing. If you can make that kind of trade while you still have, a, you know, the high high pay positions on the low pay co- contract, you're in really good shape. And you have to also potentially get lucky by having a guy like Mahomes. Let's take the Chiefs, for instance. They've had some turnover, mm-hmm. but yet Mahomes is willing to take a quote-unquote hometown discount to make it so that they can continue to bring in players that are going to, he's still getting paid a lot of money, but he's not going to do what a lot of like guys you talked about, who I may have one shot at this generational wealth and I'm going to go get it. Whereas he is in a mutually beneficial position where the team wants to pay him. He wants to stay there. So he'll just keep getting paid by that team over and over again, but not have to have the maximum amount. Yeah. Which, you know, there's, and there's a part of me too. It's like, I get it. Go get your money. How much money is, sometimes I always ask, like, how much money do you need? Like, if it means that you may never win a championship just to get a little more rich. Yeah. I always wonder, like, is it really worth it, man? Like, like you ever thought, I wonder if these guys, as they, as they kind of the, the, the go get the money, go get the money, if they ever sit back and go, I mean, I have so much if I'm smart with it and I invest it and I can still have the big house and the nice cars and I still can basically take care of my my immediate family, but if I invest it right, like my kids, 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 kids will never have any issues. Um, whether I get the extra hundred million, but man, it would be nice to to win that Super Bowl trophy. It'd be nice to have that on the resume and maybe guarantee myself a trip to the Hall of Fame so my grandkids, grandkids, grandkids can see my bust. I think that's something that I'm sometimes I'm afraid is lost on the go get your money idea behind the NFL right now. Is I, I worry about that. I also uh, agree with you on this. And we've talked to, I've talked to Cleve about this before, and I sent him a, a great thing. And it was like, you have two different sets of stats. Whose career would you rather have? One of them was Calvin Johnson. Mm-hmm. One of them was Julian Edelman. Obviously, Calvin Johnson, first ballot Hall of Famer, walks in, no rings, awful relationship with the Lions, which is apparently getting better. Julian Edelman, though, is never going to be considered like one of the greatest receivers to ever do it, but three championships. And he still got paid more money than you and I will ever see in our lifetime. But Calvin Johnson was that generational talent who could cash in on that kind of big time wealth that we're talking about. Yeah. But if you asked him man to man, would you rather have less money or that one ring? I guarantee you he would say that one ring. That'd be interesting. Uh, probably, but I, I mean, I, who knows? Man? Yes, you can. Maybe he really likes the money. I, maybe, <laughs> but I asked the audience, what would you rather have, more money or the ring? And you can call or text the show 703-718-6314 is the number to do that. We'd love to hear what your opinions are, because I know for me that if I was going to take myself to the highest level, I would want the success or the the feeling of success of that ring. 
And I remember a great story about Brady. Now, Brady's an outlier because of all the rings that he won and all the winning he did. But I remember one year, it was like 2012, one of the players on the Patriots was complaining about not making the Pro Bowl. And he just looked at him and said, we don't, we don't play for effing Pro Bowls. We play for the Super Bowl. And that was his mentality. And I think that there are players who want to win at that level, but you're going to have players for whom it doesn't matter. Like, And I don't want to cast expersions on Lamar Jackson, but does Lamar Jackson really want to care about winning a Super Bowl or is it really more about being able to secure that generational wealth? Maybe it has something to do with whatever their family, you know, their upbringing was or where they come from. Maybe you and I can be in that position where we would take $100 million less because we didn't come up in poverty or we didn't have a situation that maybe money feels like it's more of a reward. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that question is. But you mentioned the draft and the draft is, a, is an event for me that is so interestingly covered because... For something that I could care, I could I should care more about. It's covered in a way that's just amazing. But yet, on day one, there are thousands and thousands of people who show up to the draft. And I wanted to ask you first, how do you think that mass appeal happens? I don't know. I always wondered that too because the draft is exciting. You know, here's why. I think the draft is a perfect. It's a it's a drug, right? It's it's hopium for a fan base. The great hope of what could be based upon all this information that is pushed to the media, especially now, right, as you get this bolster of media coverage of draft picks and draft coverage and, you know, all these things. You get to see your favorite college player and their transition to the to the NFL. And if you're an NFL fan or even a team, and you're thinking, this could be the this could be what we need to push over the edge. This is what's going to provide me the capability of being that much better next year. I think that drives excitement. And then, you know, the draft itself, I, I would hope that I think a lot of people that go to the draft, do they really go to the draft because they want to, you know, wait for that one pick to be called? Or is it kind of a great way to celebrate football in the offseason where you go get to drink beer with your friends? Football is happening. Interesting to see what happens on the on the uh, on the first round, especially for the party side. I think for the actual depth of the draft, knowing what happens in all the other rounds is really interesting to kind of see what a team's draft strategy is and how they do it. And but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just, yeah, it's got to be a little bit of the NFL pumping the draft because they know they can get revenue from it. And a lot of the uh, sports media that also gets revenue from it. And so if they pump up the, you know, the awesomeness of it, you combine that with a little bit of hope, that thing that everyone wants in the offseason, it's a perfect recipe for, you know, massive fan base. There's got to be 10 teams every single year for whom that hope drug is very, very big. And I mean that really because there are a lot of teams and I maybe am guilty of saying that there are there are teams that I wonder how they even have fans because they've never had anything real and tangible to show their fan base to have them. But being a fan is about weathering the storm, good and bad, whether they win or not. And there's a lot of fan bases like Lions fans. They still show up to all the games every year, <laughs> yeah. buy season tickets, and you have to give props to that. They're hoping I'm strong this year. Oh, it, well, yeah. And maybe rightly so. The, yeah, that's a that's a different story. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, if you're a Texans fan, oh yeah, I know. <laughs> if you've been going to every single Texans game, and and no shame to anybody watching or listening who is a Texans fan, but if you're going to all these games, seeing the results of the team that is that they've put out there for the last gosh, almost a decade now, and every year it's about hope, 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 and there's nothing that you can say. Why am I still coming to these games? And yet the draft kind of traffics in that big time because it's a reset of the clock. Yeah. The draft represents to me that, well, maybe this is our year. And that right there makes a lot of money for the NFL, I think. Yeah, and 
It absolutely makes a lot of money for the NFL. I also think, though, that the NFL very smartly switched paradigms by making the draft in a different city every single year because that brings it to the casual fan wanting to go to celebrate football. And when Coach talked to the guys that lived in the U.K. about their experience going to some of these London games, what they said it was like is almost a celebration of the game where you go there and there's people that are wearing all different kinds of jerseys. The rivalries really don't matter. They're all just happy to be there. The NFL is there. The novelty is there. And maybe that is what the draft is, is essentially a giant party where you go there, you celebrate your team. I honestly don't know who half of the players are that get drafted most of the time. A lot of those guys aren't even on the team come week one, let alone at the end of that season, right? And so there's a lot of inside football that takes place at the draft that maybe we don't know, but they've done a good job. But as far as the actual draft, you're more of a strategist than I am. Like you think about the draft, especially round one, maybe even round two, you probably peter out around round three. I mean, you look and see who they are, but like the strategy for you in, in round one is actually very intriguing. And we were texting and all that. But I wanted to ask you, is there a position in the draft that is the most overrated position that maybe the news talks about or the fans get all hyped up about that you think no matter what happens at that position, it doesn't have the kind of impact that maybe we're being told it does. So overrated. Um, we'll get not, to underrated. Not, I won't even say underrated. I don't know where he fit. Like I, you talk about quarterback, but it's not an overrated position because if you get a, if you get the right one, it absolutely has a major impact. Um, but I think sometimes they over. I think the hype on quarterbacks makes is interesting many times. Well, they hype every quarterback because they know how much a team needs to hit a home run on a quarterback. Right. So every quarterback that's in the draft is going to get hyped no yeah. matter what. I mean, there, there's a little part of me that wants to go to running back, but I don't think running back is quite hyped as much as it used to be. Um, so so I really think it's it's the defensive backs, in my opinion. The cornerback, everyone's always talking about, this is the best cornerback in the draft. He's amazing. That's cool. But, I mean, reality-wise, if you're a team and you need players, let's say you need help on the offensive line, uh, you need a running back, maybe you need a receiver, you need a cornerback, I mean, if you look at those positions, you'd be like, yeah, but if I have a shutdown corner, so you have a shutdown corner who covers a half the field for half of the game, that's great. It's really important to have that. But is it really worth as much as a game-changing wide receiver? How many passes does a, a team throw these days? Or even a running back, although I wouldn't pick a running back in the first round these days. It's risky. Uh, there's just too many good good running backs. You know, it's, you can find the talent with this type of league outside of the first round. But, like, honestly, like an offensive lineman, um, just so critical defensive lineman, uh, one who can rush the passer or who can stop the run. Those those things are so critical. Yet people like they love the the hotness of a cornerback. Um, I just don't know that cornerbacks really necessarily make up all the difference. I mean, you, how many how many teams have have taken a top cornerback in the top ten? And it really hasn't mattered. Like their season hasn't been changed by the cornerback. How many seasons are changed by a cornerback? Yes, I agree. And the correlation mathematically, statistically, between how many of these positions are drafted and what their Super Bowl chances are, like when it comes to a lot of these positions and we talk about building a team, depth a lot of times matters. And I think that's where a lot of the best teams in the league who have been consistently good over the course of a decade have been able to bolster their depth by making good sound draft picks that maybe aren't sexy, but they give you that depth. Like this year, the Patriots drafted Christian Gonzalez, right? And they're a team that always likes to collect defensive backs because they have had Super Bowl years where they've had wide receiver play defensive back, which is never where you want to be. And how many teams, if they get to that point, could actually win? You know what I mean? Like that's very few and far between. You can't ever have enough offensive linemen. You can't ever have enough defensive linemen. 
because at the end of it all, injuries are going to happen. You want to have enough guys that can step in and you don't have to have some emergency situation where you have a guy playing a position he's not used to playing in a big game. And again, they happen injuries in the playoffs all the time. Guys have to come in and play left tackle when they're used to playing right tackle. It's a different skill set. And sometimes they get the job done. But there are growing pains in those positions. A lot of times offensive lineman to me is the most undervalued position because of how much it takes to have chemistry with everybody else on the line. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a position, a plug-and-play thing where you just stick a guy in there and we're all good. Right, yeah, and that's the thing, too, is each of those positions is a little different, too. So you can have the best the best left tackle in the league, but he's not going to play right guard for you. It's just not. It's mm-hmm. just a different position, different body type, different style of play, different no, no. And then even then, putting a left, go- a left tackle on the right side may not work out for you until they have time to figure out, okay, now my steps are different, counting off this direction versus this direction. I've got a different guard playing next to me. I've got a different gap requirement on different blocking schemes. I think there's all those things that people just assume that it's, you know, it's like uh, a game of, of uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's just, it's th- those are critical positions that are underrated. And overrated, again, I know you said you can't have too many DB- defensive backs, and you can't have too many defensive backs. I agree with you on that. But I think that the idea that a critical, you know, high draft pick on a cornerback is going to make, High draft picks, like top 10 draft picks, should kind of make your, they should be like game changers. If they're not in the game versus they're in the game, it should be game changers. And I just don't always see that with a cornerback taken in the top 10. There's just not enough of them. And even and we have a great cornerback on Dallas, two of them now, because they uh, just traded for one. But, I mean, Trevon Diggs is incredible. An incredible cornerback that couldn't throw to his side of the field. But honestly, like, you know, what hurt the Cowboys more, like you said, was the fact that they were down to their fourth cornerback on the other side because they had injuries to three of the four cornerbacks. That makes it really hard to play good defense. I've got one great corner, and I've got the number four dude on the other side. It's hard to win with number four on the other side. They'll just throw the number four. Yes, and that <laughs> person know? gets thrown in when they're not thinking that they're going to play. And defense, and I think about the Cowboys in that 2020 season. Their defense was all over the place and a a giant mess. Communication issues that you would normally see during OTAs, preseason, even maybe week one through four, were still existent in week 14 because that communication factor gelling. Defense is very much like that. Communication matters a lot. Am am I going to get help over the top? Are you going to be covering this way? What happens if they break this way? Being able to communicate on the field as things are happening, as you're trying to set up, And if you have a lot of guys who are in there who aren't expecting to be in there, they're not getting reps with those dudes, right? And so I think that when you talk about overrated, I think there's a difference between a position and saying, if you draft this position, you're set. Quarterback, obviously, if you draft a quarterback and you hit, you're in mostly a good position as long as you do a lot of other things right. But that's the hardest position to really get because you need that position to win. Bar none, there's no other position on the field that you need more. And so I don't think it can be overvalued because you need it. Like, the Texans drafting C.J. Stroud this year, they need him to hit. Yeah. So if he hits, it's not overrated. It's, oh, thank God. Yeah. But I think that when you talked about running back, running back is not overvalued anymore or overrated because of the fact that the position in and of itself has become so much easier to fill because we don't have those dominant run games anymore. And that's why what the Falcons did this year, drafting Bijan Robinson at number six, when they had a lot, I think it was number six or seven. It was it was high. It doesn't matter. It was in the top 10. And it was amazing because, and I'm probably going to get nailed for getting that draft pick wrong, but it was amazing <laughs> that they picked him that high knowing that they have so many other needs on the team. 
And I just believe, like you do, that running back, no matter how amazing that talent is, is that going to put the Falcons over the top? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I feel like they have so many needs on that team that it, it's one of those ones where I think the Falcons love to take those like high. <laughs> What do you call them? Like the the high viz players. They took oh, yeah. the they took the guy, the tight end, who's really more like a receiver. Yeah, Kyle um, Pitts, who they yeah, didn't Pitts. throw to in the first <laughs> yeah, four last weeks of the year. Season. Um, you know, maybe it'll work out, but you know, if they don't build, like, so you don't build in the trenches, you don't build with depth. I mean, you could have the flashiest best running. I mean, the Giants had Saquon Barkley for how long? He's the best running back that came out. You know, that year for sure, if not maybe for two or three years afterwards. The uh, Giants were pitiful. They were barely good last year. They have a, and everyone keeps saying, well, they have potential now. They're, they're doing it. But now we're already in, what, year five of a Saquon's And they had to pay time? Daniel Jones $40 million yeah. a year and just so, to get there. So, I mean, you kind of look at that and you go, even the best couldn't get the couldn't get the Giants over the hump. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's just not a position that has the kind of impact the way that it did. And it's just like cornerback you talked about. There's two sides of the field. And so if you have a big a chasm between your number one and number two, good quarterbacks are going to pick on that other side all day long. And yeah. you're going to have to have some kind of a solution of what you're going to do with that. If I add one more thing about the draft, I do believe that linebacker is a very overrated position in a lot of ways, because I think, again, there are guys who can be game changers. But I also believe that in today's game where it's just different, right? Linebackers, I think, made a lot more of a difference when it was a much more run heavy league yeah. and you needed a lot of guys because the quarterback wasn't back there as often. And the quarterbacks weren't as skilled as they were in terms of mobility and movement. And now drafting a linebacker in round one feels, unless it's a can't-miss guy, it feels like a waste. And that's why the Lions this year, drafting a running back and a linebacker in the first round was just, wow. Yeah, shocking. I mean, in linebacker, too, it's it's an interesting position, too, because you're right. Like, as the the league has gone more pass-heavy and the defenses have gone more nickel oriented so lighter packages to deal with the more receiver type packages yeah it kind of devalues that linebacker position I do have a wonder though as as you start to see teams like San Francisco and even Philadelphia as you see them and you say well as teams defenses are starting to go lighter talent the talent is bred for the passing game is there a capability to attack a weakness there with teams that have a better running game. In other words, can I outmuscle the other team now because they've gone so light with their talent that in the sense of light, I mean, speed, coverage, receiver, you know, passing game type defense stuff. And so they're lighter on the talent in the run-stopping defense. If they, if a team has gone there, if enough teams have gone there, the question is now, is there a potential shift in the NFL again back to a running game that we could see happen in the next couple of years as they try to basically hit the weakness of the defenses that all are out there now? I think that our sports are just going to cyclically evolve as Mm -hmm. we get older and (laughs) age out. No, think think about the NBA. The NBA went from a very post-heavy presence with a lot of big guys and talk about Shaq and all those dudes. And now it's a very finesse three-point shooting league. I do think eventually it's going to go back to the big guys. We're going to make a big difference and we're going to have lower scoring games because it's always going to adapt. How are you finding weakness? And you talked about it perfectly. If If a lot of these teams are going lighter to try to manage all the pass-heavy offenses out there, is it possible that a team could be built the right way to exploit those weaknesses across the league? And what happens there? The, the league evolves, and you end up having a total evolution of the sport, and guys like B. John Robinson will be drafted number one in 20 years or something like that. Like, you don't know. I think it is that way. I just think we are in a peak right now in terms of offensive efficiency 
and offensive explosiveness because I think that the quarterback position and just players in general have become so much more athletic to the point that offenses are just so very fun to watch because of this. But I think what would happen is we wouldn't go back to an 80s or 90s style of football in terms of how aesthetic it looks. I think that that kind of football would become exciting and it would just be because you have now players who are cut from the same mold with today's technology and advances in nutrition and everything. And that talent level will be super high. So you'll be seeing what was, quote unquote, a boring way of football with more exciting players, if that makes sense. So let's move on to some free agency stuff. Now, I personally don't pay that much attention to free agency because I think that it's hard to get excited about guys that you don't know where they're going to fit in. But there are some that obviously... It's a time of year where people pay elite money to good players. Yes. And doesn't always work out. However, there is a team out there, I think, that is going for broke this year. And they made the news just about every single day for what could be the first time in their existence as a franchise, and that was the New York Jets. Last year, the New York Jets had a win-now team, a very young win-now team, but I think they had enough talent to make a playoff run. And the one position that they were really struggling with is the one position you can't struggle with, which is quarterback. They drafted Zach Wilson, what, two years ago? And he has not been very good at all. His attitude sucks. He has not progressed at all on the field. I don't think it's a coaching problem. I think it's a Zach Wilson problem. And so the Jets tried to go for broke and they traded for Aaron Rodgers, which, by the way, took way too long for me. Yeah. Way too long. It, it, but it made sense. If you really look at, like, why did it take so long? It was all about leverage. Both teams were trying to get the maximum leverage on that trade. The Jets, I think, knew... That, and I think the Jets had the best leverage. People will talk about, you know, whatever, but they knew that Green Bay had to move Rodgers before the draft if they wanted to get anything useful out of him this year. And so they said, well, we'll just we'll just wait. You're going to have to move him before the draft. And he doesn't want to go anywhere else but us. And the closer it gets to the draft, the more desperate you get, which means that, you know, you'll take anything. So, so I think for that reason, I think that's why it took so long. But I agree. It was hyped up for so long because everyone kind of knew it was going to happen. But you know who should be thanking Aaron Rodgers for that is Pat McAfee, because Pat McAfee having him <laughs> on his show and oh, getting yeah. a million people watching that interview got him an $85 million deal at ESPN. So obviously that's working out for Pat. <laughs> yeah. And those friendships really work out. If we can get a little bit of that action, Pat, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> but Aaron Rodgers is at the end of his life cycle. I think last year was a combination of, is he falling off that talent cliff or is the organization not putting enough pieces around him because he's making the bulk of the money? So he's going to a brand new team with a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, and I think there's a lot of buzz around them. But my question to you is, while it makes sense in every way, right? Like it makes sense in every way because you need a quarterback to win. Here's a guy who's won a Super Bowl. He's obviously very talented. This is a very, we need to make this happen right now I personally am not on this train of it's going to work because I think that Aaron Rodgers generally doesn't play well with young talent. And I think that being in New York, the scrutiny is a lot higher than it would be in Green Bay. But your thoughts, please. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you here. Uh, I think it can very much work. And here's why. First off, from the Jets' perspective, what do they get to lose? They don't have a quarterback. There wasn't any other ones available. They could have drafted again, but they already saw how, oh, you draft a bad quarterback, it can set you back five years. And Rodgers was available. Now, I think you could look at Rodgers and say, okay, is he still, is he, is he hitting the talent cliff? I don't think so. I mean, if you kind of watch him last year, he could still sling the football. He could still run. He could still scramble. Yeah, he's getting older, but older quarterbacks see the field better. They know defense is better. So I think getting older 
mentally for the game is actually better for a quarterback. They're just all better as they get older. They just know every, they've seen every defense you could throw at them, and they're really smart about it. The smart ones succeed, and I think Aaron Rodgers is a smart one. I think he's still got the arm talent. I think uh, you talk about does he play well with younger players. I think he came on initially badly with those kids in Green Bay, but they got better as the year went along, and he started making these really great you know connections with some of those younger folks. And I, you know, if I really think about it, part of that could be also he wasn't he didn't want to be there. He just didn't want to be in Green Bay anymore. He felt like he was just kind of like, hey, you draft a, another quarterback, you don't give me anything on the sidelines. I felt like Green Bay, even to my to my opinion, they did kind of just rely on Rodgers. We got Rodgers, so we'll just do whatever. And I just don't feel like they ever quite, quite built a good team. They had a great a great quarterback. They never built a great team. They just kind of felt like a lackluster talent management or or team management from that perspective. So I think the potential is it could absolutely work. But we are talking about the Jets. And if there's anybody who could find a spectacular way to fail, it could be the New York Jets. So eh, it could totally not. And then again, I said this about, you can count me on this. I also said that uh, two years ago, we said there's this team in the AFC West. It's got everything they need. They're just missing a quarterback. If they could just get a good quarterback, we'd be good to go. And they picked up a guy named Russell Wilson and it failed miserably. I was just about to bring that up. I don't think this is a Russell Wilson situation, but God, if I'm wrong twice, <laughs> I won't speak on it again. <laughs> I think that my concerns with Aaron Rodgers are some of the attitude stuff. And I get it. The Green Bay Packers didn't do right by him at the end. But when when slash if things don't start out very well in New York, Aaron Rodgers has become a very Aaron Rodgers centric person. And that's nothing wrong with that. Like having those existential discussions with yourself, being comfortable with who you are and what you want in life, right? Like nothing's wrong with that whatsoever. I guess my concern is that he's going to come here. Let's say they start one and two. The fan base is not going to sit with that, right? Like that's a rough fan base and no offense to New York or maybe all offense, but Sometimes the uneducated fans come out and start to say, screw Rodgers, get him, Rodgers, get him out of here. And it's not fair because it's a long season. But I think if you look at that team, everything is set for them to be good. The division, on the other hand, is they needed to be in the AFC, the AFC like Central or whatever it is. The, what the hell? AFC South. AFC South, my favorite. See, I don't care. But they needed to be in the AFC South because I think if they were there, they would actually work really well but now they're playing the Bills twice they're playing the Dolphins twice and I get that the Patriots are going to be in last place in that division but you're playing Bill Belichick twice so it's that's a tough road for them to go through just in the division so I think I guess when I say I think it'll work I mean it in the sense that I think you'll see Aaron Rodgers play good football I think they'll have a good offense I think they'll score points I think everybody but it doesn't mean they'll win all they will win that division because I think it's going to be very difficult it's gonna be very difficult for whatever team wins that division it's going to have to be really good, you know? That may be a 10-win team. Yes. Also, another thing you should know is that Nathaniel Hackett, who, by the way, coached Russell Wilson last year, is the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets. So there are a lot of things not going in your favor right now. I don't know, man. It could go really badly. How would Hackett do with Rodgers that last time they were together? Does it matter? It's like Adam Gase with Peyton Manning, who was actually doing all that work. <laughs> That's fair. Adam Gase got not one, but two head coaching jobs out of that, failed miserably at both. So maybe maybe the key there is that as long as Rodgers is there, it doesn't matter who the guy is. Who's... Nathaniel Hackett <laughs> is a figurehead who's going to do whatever Aaron <laughs> Rodgers wants to do. But they have that relationship with each other, which at this no, point— It could go bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it won't go bad. We'll it could go bad. But I think that this will be—I like, I guess— if you want to judge it between like the best case scenario, which would be 
who else has moved who could be a good example of where this actually works? Nobody. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe Peyton to, to... Peyton to Denver? To Denver. Okay. Uh, on one side versus Russell Wilson to Denver on the other side. I feel like this is in that range. I think it's more likely than not to be slightly favored towards the Peyton to Denver side vice the other one. I think also because Rodgers probably knows he only has a couple years left. And so I could see him being like, I'm putting it all on the line here for the next two years to see if I can win another championship. Because if I do, the, if, if he is truly as, you know, internally motivated as you say, it makes a lot of sense for him to be like, I'm going to show them. I'm going to go win in the championship with the Jets and show them that, you know, they can say all the bad things they want about me, but I know how to win. See, that's a misconception, I think, about Rodgers that maybe I have. I've likened him to Kyrie Irving in that I'm not sure he really cares about winning a championship. Uh, that's possible. Is it possible? I, I don't know. I, that's again, possible, yeah. I don't know what goes through his head, yeah. but I believe that if Aaron Rodgers stepped away from the game right now and only had his one championship, he's fine. Very much. He might be the antithesis of that player yeah, we he talked just about not earlier. Care. You're right. He doesn't care what anyone says. Yeah, and I <laughs> yeah. think that. But it's funny with that attitude being in New York where they're going to say everything about you. Yeah. Maybe it works out then because he can just roll it off and be like, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, Eli Manning did it with. If he pulls a relax in New York. Oh, they're not going to relax. They're but, not, but until he starts winning football games. Like, if he pulls that off where he tells everyone to, you know, relax and everyone gets all mad at him and then they go and win eight games in a row and make the playoffs or something. I think it's going to change all people's minds on it, you know, so we'll see what happens, though. And then they'll trade him to the Lions and he'll take <laughs> over for Jared Goff. Oh, my God. I think there's a lot of hope for them. And I think that also there's a lot of hope for the Lions. And these are two sure. franchises that have had not a lot of hope. The Lions are an interesting one for me because of the way they ended the season. Mm-hmm. And, man, they're getting they're getting the Cleveland Browns of 2021 treatment. Mm-hmm. They're on prime time quite a bit. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of hope coming in. And the funny part is, is Jared Goff is still their quarterback. And you have to wonder, has he been playing above his pay grade the last couple of years? Or did they finally get the players and the scheme around him to do what they need to do? They got him a nice new running back in the first round. So I'm not sure what that's going to do for them. But there's a lot of hope on the horizon for a lot of these bad teams, except, thankfully, the Cleveland Browns. They don't seem to have a lot of hope coming into this season. I hope they continue to fail. Never, (laughs) ever root for them. So. You wanted to talk rule changes because yeah. the rules committee actually made a couple of changes. And some of the ones sure. that I came across mm-hmm. were the flexible Thursday night football scheduling, which is not really a rule change. It's more of a paradigm shift of how they've done things with the sure. schedule, which I think is interesting, slightly unfair to cer- certain teams. It depends on how you look at that. I think the one that made the most uh, news was the fair catch rule on, yeah, the kickoff. on the kickoffs. And then the emergency quarterback was one I also yeah. honed in on as well without having to take up a roster spot. Those are my big three as well. Yeah. So let's talk about Thursday night football because traditionally I have been very anti-Thursday night football. The matchups haven't been very good. I'm not really ready for football as Thursday rolls around. I get fatigued on football by the time Monday night football rolls around. So if you're not giving me an awesome matchup, and there are there have been good ones, I'm saying. Yeah. Every team having to play on a Thursday was fair. Now it seems that they've shifted to, are they going to try to get better ratings for this game on Amazon Prime by making it unfair to certain teams? I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think they tried to build some guardrails in to make it to where, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it had something to do with you couldn't play off a short week to this, but then there there's some sort of guardrails they're trying to build in on this flex schedule, which just sounds like it's going to make the schedule maker's job really, really hard. They get paid more than we do. So. Yeah, I think it pays. I mean, it's going to be interesting in the sense that I think it will. There's somebody along the line that's going to have a short week because of this flex to try to get a better team on there. And it's going to end up being the crappier that you get a crappier game from a good team. Someone's going to complain about it, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I, 
I don't mind Thursday football. I think the hardest thing about Thursday football is we live on the East Coast and it starts too damn late in the evening. And I just, I wish like if I think if I lived in like the like the like the Mountain West area or the California, uh, I would really appreciate Thursday football more because it'd be an awesome opportunity, like kind of as a week's winding down to go out with a friend to a to a, to a bar like a like a sports bar and grab some wings and watch football at like six in the afternoon, six in the evening you know, kind of unwind a little bit from the week, be able to do that stuff and still be able to go to work the next day without being, you know, exhausted. But the APM start on the East Coast is brutal. I guess maybe now that, you know, there's a lot of people that are moving to like, you know, three and four day telework weeks or three and four day work weeks with two, two to three days of telework. If they're, if everyone is teleworking on Friday now, if that becomes a thing in the U.S., uh, Maybe that makes sense that Thursday night football game will become kind of a big deal. People will go out on Thursday nights to go watch football. And, you know, this could be the NFL is seeing something coming along and they're, you know, they're they're performing in the curve when they see like a change to the lifestyle in the U.S. where Thursday night becomes a go, a go out night because people can roll out of bed and turn on their computer at 8 a.m. versus having to get up, shower and get in a commute into work. Maybe it's maybe it works. The so, NFL has always shifted very well to be able to bring in the most revenue possible, but I think the other part of this is with the schedule, they have nixed the idea that every team gets a primetime game. Mm -hmm. And there are certain ways to look at this. It's funny because most people feel that way, and so do I, that I want the best mashups on primetime as possible because on these island games, I don't want a boring game. I don't want to see Chicago and right. the Commanders, which is just god-awful. Yeah, if there's a crappy game on, you'd like to be able to shift to watch something else. Yes. and Another you, game, just in case. Oh, let me just go watch this game instead. Maybe this game that maybe would equally be crappy, but it's all of a sudden this week it's really good. Let me go shift over and watch that game instead. And I don't not, want that to happen on Sunday night where there's nothing else to do. It's not that bad teams can't have a good game, but I think sometimes it, you know, when you have two bad teams with each other, it's just never good. So the NFL has shifted to not every team gets a primetime game. And honestly, I think that it's incentivizing teams to be like, you want to be on primetime? You want to get that shine? Actually put out a good product, right? Do what you have to do to put out a good product. And I actually like this, but I know that some of these scheduling things for some of these teams, it is hard to figure out. And so I think this year there will be growing pains with this new paradigm of flexing Thursday night football games because a lot of these teams that are good and exciting are going to have to play more of these primetime games, which possibly makes it so that they're tired and they're traveling you know, a little bit differently than they normally would. And so will that come to a place or come to a head come playoff time when you're already tired, you're beaten up, and you've got to make a run through the playoffs and all that stuff. But the fair catch on the kickoffs. Now, the kickoffs have been something that the NFL has been targeting for years now. Yeah, they say it's about player safety. But, you know, I'm not sure I'd buy the... This may be a perfect example of uh, people going, I'm making the game safer by doing this because it sounds like it'll make the game safer. I won't allow them to fair catch it, which will make the ball up to the 25 and there'll be less of these high-impact plays. That's going to make things safer. But if you really talk to people who played the game, you talk to like when they took away the wedge, they take away some of those things, that's really where all your safety benefit really got brought in. But like these, you know, these, the tackles on kickoff returns, like you kind of can take out the certain things that are the super dangerous parts and you could still leave a kickoff return. And so there's a part of me that kind of feels like, I'd like to see how this plays out, but I bet if you did actual like science on this and actually looked at kickoff returns, I bet you would find like the amount of safety plays or, or safety you incur by keeping a kickoff the way it is, where you actually can return it by doing this fair catch to the 25 thing. 
I don't know that you're really going to get a lot of safety bang for buck. This feels like a little bit performative to me. I think it is, but I liked what the XFL did on the kickoffs. I thought that was actually... Was this the 4th and 18 thing, or is this the... No, that was the onside, the onside kick. Kicks. But the, I think it was on the kickoff that nobody could move until the guy actually fielded the ball. Right. And so that actually probably is the way to make it the most safe while still keeping some kind of an excitement because if you break through mm-hmm. when all your guys were standing right there, I mean, you get that excitement. Like, the kickoff was exciting. Kickoff returns yeah. were exciting. I mean, look at Devin Hester in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. And I think what happens, though, is when you take away these avenues, like, you think, okay, a fair catch. I'm going to fair catch it in the end zone. But a lot of these guys have that bravado and that ego that they want to return the damn ball. I think if you're in the zone, it doesn't change anything, though, right? Because you're in the end zone, you're just going to kneel, right? And that's a team strategy thing. But I'm saying, like, these players, there are going to be guys who are like, I want to return this football. A perfect example, right? Well, he's going to do that. So uh, Dallas Cowboys have a return specialist, Kevontae Turpin, right? He was the USFL uh, MVP the year prior, and so they picked him up and brought him in, and he was a really good kick return, punt return. Um, one of the best in the league. Uh, made the Pro Bowl for kick return. And so people asked him when this rule came out, hey, what are you going to do about this? He goes, I ain't fair catching nothing. <laughs> you know, because he's doing like, wait a minute, I'm not going to fair catch anything, so I'm not worried about it. Which, well, of course he's going to fair catch something. But I guess the point the point is, I don't know. I don't know if it'll impact the actual safety of the game as much as it will impact the excitement of the game. Which is, is unfortunate. Just, is it just adding options now to where the NFL can point to it and, as you said, performative? Yes. Look at how many options we have no, to keep the this NFL is going to say, look what we did. We, we care so much about safety. This. I just don't know that. It, I, I would love to see the data. It's many things in, in, in our society these days, I think, is all about the optics that I'm doing something, not necessarily if I'm actually doing something, because I refuse to actually do the, the, the hard work to figure out what I need to do to make it better. This is why I love the NFL so much, because the NFL is the best at this. Oh, yeah. At the optics game. Like, look at us. They love that stuff. Yeah. And that is one of the things about the NFL that I think when people look at how they react to certain things mm-hmm. and get all up in arms, you got to think about that first. They're going to act first and foremost in a way that's look at us and whatever makes them look the best doesn't matter what it is. That's why Roger Goodell can appeal to himself mm-hmm. and make sure that Deshaun Watson gets a larger sentence when he probably was okay with whatever came out at first. But you know what? The NFL doesn't look that great here. Let's get the shield out there. Let's make sure that we do this. And the NFL is always about that, like so always about that. How about the emergency quarterback, though? And I think yeah. that I think the emergency quarterback speaks to Brock Purdy sure. very specifically. It speaks to the San Francisco 49ers specifically. And they were out of quarterbacks. See, in the NFC Championship game. This is a rule that I think makes sense based off of that one data point. But how often is it going to actually come up? Yeah. Because the, the 49ers had unprecedented quarterback I, injuries agree. last year. Unprecedented. I, I don't think, I agree. The rule, it seems like that. What that's what it is. I like this rule, though, because I do think it's not, it's such a critical position. And the rosters are so tight as it is. I mean, you're talking, well, you have 56... 53-man 53, 53 roster. Yeah, a 53-man roster, a 46-man roster on game day that you can dress right now. 53 is not a lot of players. For for a game that, in theory, takes 22, right? So it's double the, you know, you have one extra player in every position and all this stuff. But if you really think about, like, the way injuries happen, it's roster management's difficult in the NFL, as is, right? And certain positions require certain backups, and you have to kind of balance that along the way. The quarterback position is so important in the NFL that, you really, it, to me, it's it's almost, it's such a benefit to say, you know what, I know I can I can keep a quarterback on the pa- practice squad, so I keep this guy on the 53, and I could always raise him up on the day of the game 
and have him sitting there holding the clipboard and learning just in case things go wrong. If my starting quarterback goes down, who knows, man? My third quarterback, my second quarterback, maybe pretty close in talent. It may be one of those things where as a as a as a as a fan, I may want to see the opportunity to have two other quarterbacks out there to see who's having a good day. Because some quarterbacks may be better at things than other people, and I just like that. I just think that's a viable option because quarterbacks are going to get hurt. It's nice to have a backup, and it's even better that it doesn't count against the roster because there's so many. I mean, you're already talking about there are teams that are like, well, I got, uh, I can't carry a fullback or I can't carry an extra tight end. So uh, I guess if we have to, we can make the guard the fullback or we can make the tight end the emergency right guard. Who's the emergency center? You know, it's like there's already a short enough thing. I think any kind of roster exemption like this one is, is beneficial. And yeah. Is it probably clearly because of the 49ers? Sure. But I think it's a good thing, especially because the position is so so critical. Why are our NFL rosters so tight in the first place? Like, to me, it seems like expanding it just enough to make sure that the players are, or teams are fielding. Honestly, that, so my opinion would be, you know, they, they take off the, you know, fair catch on the kickoff and this type of stuff. Oh, player safety. If you really, really, really care about player safety, you would make the roster bigger because you were then not forced players to play hurt or you would have all these options of doing that stuff and you have more flexibility. It's revenue, man. You get more players on the roster, you get to pay more money. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to be that. that. Like, it's got to be what it is, right? Expand the salary cap to allow for this kind of thing and let the players or let the teams have more players so they can have, because it doesn't everybody benefit. So everyone, everyone, but you know who benefits the most? The Dow, Jerry Jones. Because they have uh, more money. Because they have more money. Jerry Jones, if he had, if, if it were up to him, he would pay all his players. He'd love to. He wants to win, and he has the money to do it. His franchise is valued at $8 billion or something like that. The problem is the Jacksonvilles, those owners are going to be like, no way, man. I'm going to get hosed in this deal. I barely make enough to get by. I think it's bullcrap. They're all make plenty of money. Every one of those franchises is worth plenty of money. They can still make tons and tons of more money, but that's the balance I think they're going with. They are trying to maximize the return on their ownership investment, and that's what it comes down to, and more players for them. The question just comes down to how much do the owners want to win? I think the owners who want to win championships would be all about adding extra roster spots because even the league minimum roster spots is a pittance to how much money they actually make on this thing. But the but the owners who don't really care about winning and just want to maximize how much money they make are probably like, yeah, I'm good with the way it is because it's less money I got to pay. I guess. I, I don't know. I, I, that's the only reason. What other reason can there be? I don't know. There's no other re- reasonable. There's enough complaints every year about the fact there's not enough room. There's not enough players on rosters. We're having to balance too many players. The only thing I can think of is it's all about money. And maybe it's a collectively bargained thing now to where it comes up in the next CBA negotiations because they just added a 17th game and they're not allowing for more roster expansion. Right. That's another good reason to add roster expansion. It could also be from the CBA perspective too to maximize the revenues of the people that they have playing. The players may not want more people on the roster, right? Again, it's supply and demand, right? If the if you can only, you know, there's a huge supply of players who want to play in the NFL right now. There's only so many that are so good. If there's less spot for them to get in there, it's going to drive the price to a play area where the, the players who do make the team are going to make more money because they're the ones who made it. They're the, they're the few. I don't know. It's all about money. That's my opinion. It's all about money. It always is all about money. So we have bumped up to the end here, Mike, and every single one of these little offshoot things, I like the guest to have a little bit of a moment to shine. So this is completely unprepared for everybody. I did not prepare Mike for this, but I'm going to call it the Mike spike. It's kind of like the Gronk spike. Okay. And I want this to be a moment for you to say something, have some opinion that is the equivalent of you spiking on the audience. So it can be Dallas Cowboys related. It can be whatever you want. Something that maybe you feel vindicated about that has happened over the off season 
that you heard a lot of people saying different things about that came to fruition or whatever it is, right? It's your moment. You've scored a touchdown. It's time for you to spike the ball in the end zone. Oh, man, I'm not prepared. I don't know. <laughs> nothing you want to say? Did you already do it with your little smog talk Maybe, earlier? No, you know, you talk, you're talking football related. I have plenty of things to say about other stuff, but we're going to try to keep it football related. You can keep it football related. You can keep it anything you want. This is the first one. This is unprepared, like I said, so you are on the spot to do something right here, or you can you can pass the ball to the referee, and next time you score a touchdown, you can come up with yeah. a little celebration. Dance. I wish I had something for you, Matt. I don't have any football related I could spike on right it's now. It's a perfect <laughs> way to segue <laughs> to the end of the episode. This is why we've rebranded three times. So don't forget, everybody, if you have an opinion on anything we've said, including Mike's awesome spike, which was nothing, call or text the show. 703-718-6314 is the number to do that. We'd love to hear your opinion on just about anything. We are here. This is INC Sports, and one of the reasons that we did this was to be able to have a little bit more of a granular conversation about some of these things. Football is a very passionate fan base. There's a lot of fans out there that know or think that they know a lot of things. We are not experts, but we're going to do the best that we can to talk football. Don't forget to support all the other INC Sports things that we have. We did some basketball talk with Matt Humphreys. We did some boxing talk with Cleve and our man Supreme Rich. We hopefully are going to be having an actual boxer on the show coming up pretty soon. We're going to you know, we're still kind of negotiating on that. Don't forget to support regular Iceman and Coach, which those episodes come out every single week on YouTube and in the podcasting world. Coach and I are trying to do some fun stuff. We are, again, we're every fans and we're trying to cater to the every fan. So it's people like us who like to sit and just talk about sports and we don't want to get into the nitty gritty. But before we get out of here, though, Mike, do you have anything for the parting audience? No, I think my, my spike was simply taking the football, kindly walking over to the referee and shaking his hands because I... Uh... I didn't have anything to, to do this week. So next time, though, I can get pretty fired up. Don't worry. I'll come up with something. <laughs> this man is Barry Sanders this week. Okay, everybody, I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next time. This is Reading the Defense. and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.